Welcome to episode 38 of the Through the Point podcast. Sorry for another delay in the episode with the holidays around. I've been a bit busy, but I promise in the new year I'm going to get back on that schedule once a week episodes and hopefully some new stuff coming in with the season coming up and hopefully that uh, stays as planned. I mean, obviously everyone's hoping for a season, so I'll try and come up with some new cool stuff if the season does happen as expected. This week I had on Alex Falacci, who's a two-time French national champion in the decathlon but he's also a businessman, entrepreneur, and that's really what he focused on in his interview, which that's something I'm interested in, so I thought it was really fun to hear from him and really different compared to most of the interviews. We spent some time talking about his athletic career, and weirdly enough, he was committed to Iowa State about six years ago, um, even though we didn't know that before at all. He didn't know I went there, and I didn't know he was committed there, so it was pretty funny to hear that on air. But he's had a ton of success in the business world, and I think it's important to talk about life after sports and how a career-ending injury could have been a really really negative thing and sent him to a bad place but it really elevated himself to do some other stuff so i think you guys are really going to enjoy this one and if you're interested in business and entrepreneurship it's going to be definitely one for you so make sure you listen to it as always thanks for listening and enjoy I'm here with Alex Falacci, uh, an entrepreneur and two-time French national champion in the decathlon. So not a javelin thrower only, but someone who loves the javelin. Uh, Alex has been following me for a little bit. I followed him back, and he had some really interesting stuff on his page, so I thought it'd be great to have him on. So Alex, thanks for coming. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, Are you just starting to record from now? Yeah, now is just the starting. Yeah, we never recorded any of the other stuff. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. We're going to talk again about it. Yeah. Alex and I were talking for probably 30 minutes and he was just sitting on a ton of amazing <laughs> things. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, yeah. So we're getting back to it. I'll make sure to make him repeat it. Even if he has to stay a little longer because he was spitting some amazing stuff. So I really appreciate it. But do you want to start, I guess, with your athletic background growing up before we get into all of your like elite, obviously background as an athlete, but then also your entrepreneurship and other endeavors? Yeah, so when I was uh, a kid, I was just running all over the place and jumping everywhere. So I had so much energy that my mom had to put me, you know, to do some physical activity. I started with judo from five to 10, but I didn't like it because you can't punch and you can't kick anybody. And then uh, I watched the Olympics in 2000. In uh, I was in Sydney, Sydney 2000. And I really liked the whole sport of track and field. So I started track when I was 10 years old and uh, I started with the sprint, the high jump and the javelin throw. Those were my first, uh, my first three original sports. I really loved them all. And then I, I progressively started to do a little bit of everything. And that's why I became a decathlete and I became national champion of France in 2011 and 2013. After this, I came to America in 2014 to train for the Olympics, but unfortunately, uh, I broke my back, had a very bad injury in 2015. So exactly 2015 in in, the beginning of the year. So almost six years ago now. And um, I had to retire from track. Then I became a personal trainer. So I could stay in America and finish my master's degree. And and, uh, here I am, you know, I've been doing a lot of things since then, I've still been uh, throwing a little bit of javelin because it's really one of my favorite events on track. I love so many things about this movement, about, about uh, you know, just making it fly in the air and being very explosive and fast and have a good elastic mobility. So many aspects of the movement itself is just so satisfying that I will, I think I will always, always throw the javelin even later on in my life. Right. And I think what's interesting, too, is how, I mean, with javelin throw, the training for it, you're pretty well-rounded. But as a decathlete, you're really as well-rounded as it gets. So out of the throws, the javelin's the most well-rounded, but you really have that background. And I find it interesting as well how you said that javelin was one of the first events that you were introduced to. And when we were talking prior, you didn't even really know how limited the javelin opportunities were in the U.S. I mean, there's more states that don't throw it than states that do it and even in those schools like it's limited by the opportunities that people see in basketball football baseball the three major ones and obviously all the other sports that go with it so 
how I guess at what age because you're not even very how old are you now I mean it, your career ended at 20 yeah 29 your career ended at in 2015 at a very young age so I, I guess yeah uh, just I talk about that I mean getting to that point of being injured at such a young age when you had such a bright future and and how did you get brought to the U.S. too you mentioned to train for the Olympics but like what was that system like so I was you know the higher the coaches of the university they try to find athletes in Europe and that's how I was offered a full scholarship in um, maybe like every uni every university in the country wanted to offer me a full scholarship, except in Austin, Texas. And I really wanted to go to Austin because there were there was the uh, Trey Hardy, the world champion in the decathlon, and I really wanted to train with him. But uh, excuse me, but at the end I ended up going to Manhattan College, which is uh, not even in Manhattan; it's in the Bronx. <laughs> And uh, so I was very happy to go there because that's not a bad city to live in. Uh, the coaches were not very good and the school were, was not very good, but you know, whatever. I was very happy to be in America. I think it's the best country in the world. And um, I always hear some, some idiots saying that the American dream doesn't exist anymore and that uh, that when Trump got elected, it was the end of the world. And I'm like, that's just like bullshit. Just focus on whatever you got to do, adapt to the situation and try to make the best of it. You know, there's opportunities everywhere, everywhere for everybody. And uh, the American dream is still alive for anybody who wants to work hard and provide good service to, um, to the community, to everybody, to their customers, to their friends. You know, you're just going to have have to look for opportunities every day and it comes to you. And that's why I really want you to hit on that more later on all those things, because you're living proof that it's still alive and you can make the most of it. And these people listening right now don't even know the half of what you're involved in, because I was even amazed. I knew you had entrepreneurship in some aspects with your training, but I, there was so much more that I didn't know about. So really yeah. cool to hear you say that. Yeah, because I, I don't really talk about it too much on, on my Instagram because I try to keep it only focused for the fitness part. You know, I don't want to just mix real estate, 3D photography, um, all, all the other stuff, all the stock market into my fitness page. But um, those are all opportunities that, like I was talking uh, about earlier that anybody who wants to make money and become a millionaire can do it in this country. It's it's the only country where you can come from a very, very poor family and become a multimillionaire if you're smart enough and if you work hard and if you look for opportunities all the time, you know. That's really why I love this country. That's awesome. That's awesome. Going back to the athletics, do you want to talk about, uh, I guess, maybe your first major competition that you had, whether that be at 13 or a younger age like that or whatever, and how would you just say, how did you perform in that first major competition you had to be in? You mean national championship or like the biggest competition I've done in my life? Uh, I guess talk about both experiences. Uh, well, I've done maybe 1,000 competition in my life. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I've been, I've been doing track for almost 20 years now. And um, well, the first national championship I've done in 2008, it was against Kevin Meyer. Mm. which you might know because he's a I do. World, world record holder. So um, he finished second and I finished third at the national championship and it was in my city in Tours in France. And uh, after I got this medal at the national championship, I was uh, enrolled to go to a training center in, in the region. And uh, that's how it works in France. It's not really with the school, but it's with the, the club of your city. So the club of your city, there's like 200, 300 athletes and then you go to school, but it's uh, separate. There is not really um, a university competition and stuff like this. It's really just for the club and, and for yourself. So that's how it works. And um, I've done many national championships. I've won two times the gold medal and I've won two times the silver medal. Uh, one time in the decathlon and one time in the long jump. I was not even a long jumper. I was not <laughs> training for long jump, but just one day I qualified for the, the under 20 long jump national championship. And uh, I don't know, I just improved my personal best on the qualifying round. I did over seven meters 
And then the final, I did a 7.09, if I remember well, and I got the silver medal. So I was happy with that. But the decathlon was always my favorite to do because it's a mix of everything. And uh, the javelin throw is really what, javelin and high jump, those were my two first love. Because in javelin, you got to be very explosive with your arm and in high jump, very explosive with your leg. So when you combine very high explosivity, explosiveness with um, on both, you know, upper body and lower body, you can be a very, very good athlete. You know, for example, I could high jump over two meters uh, when I was 16 years old and I was one meter 74. So it's almost one foot, it's like 10 inches over my, my height when I was uh, when I was 16. And at the time I could already throw 60 meters in the javelin. But it wasn't the 800 gram, it was, uh, it was the 600. No, on the 600 I didn't do, I did, I think I did 48. And then on the 700 I did 59.95. Okay. Which was like 10, 12 years ago, long time ago. <laughs> you know yeah and do you like that system or i guess you don't have as much experience in the american system but do you prefer that or you think you would the system of through the cities and clubs compared to running it through the schools like how do you think that system compares to what would be more in america where it's through the schools i think in america it's better except when your coach is forcing you to do every competition because I've heard a lot of stories where the coach wants the, the, the athlete to do 14 events in, in two days. Like some decathletes, they have to do a decathlon and then they have to do four other events the next day and stuff like this. So that's quite stupid. But um, I think to really reach high level and become almost like training like a professional, the US, mod, the US uh, model is better. Really? But only until you're 22. Because then when you graduate and when you're done with school, there's not, um, you know, either you turn pro or you find a job. In France, France, so you you go to school, you train on the side, then you have your job, you train on the side, uh, but you don't make money. In France, I have a lot lot of friends who have a master's degree and they don't even have a job or if they find a job, they make 1500 a month which is ridiculous. And I, I just can't understand that, you know? So that's why America is really the land of opportunity and I'm so happy to be here. And that's really thanks to track and field. You know, like I was telling you earlier, uh, I never liked to go to school and to go do my homework. And, and instead of doing the homework, I was just going to, to the track, to the stadium at night to practice and work out and, and throw and do all that stuff. And my mom was upset. She kept on telling me, uh, track is not going to bring food on the table but little did she know it got me the opportunity to come to america and all the knowledge i've acquired thanks to track i've been able to use it to coach my clients as a personal trainer in new york city and that really gives me much better expertise than all the other trainers that are in new york city because you know most of the trainers they just know to shake a dumbbell they do bicep curls, they do those, they pull on cables, they do stupid things. They just sit on a, on, a, on a machine and they do 10 reps. That's not working out. That's not athletic at all. That's, that's nothing. So I have a way different approach where I really use everything I've learned in, in track and field, you know, through, let's say, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, crossfit, gymnastic, calisthenics, uh, running, of course. Uh, core, abs, mixed martial arts, like I was telling you, I really love mm-hmm. teaching boxing, kickboxing, some jujitsu, wrestling, judo, all of that stuff. So when you really learn a lot of a variety of uh, skills as an athlete and you want to become a trainer, you will be uh, much better than all the other trainers. And then you can get more clients and you can charge a higher price. So that's really how I managed to get myself on the top of the market in Manhattan and yeah that's like you looking at it is track you're not even doing track necessarily right now but that track brought you here especially to a college like Manhattan College as you mentioned you had been offered by so many different schools like it just seems perfect that it ended up you'd be at Manhattan College out of all of them which is 
I mean, not a ginormous school or normally a track powerhouse, at least as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but to end up there, obviously you suffered through those injuries, but now you are already in the location that is perfect for what you're trying to do. And then having that width of background is you can work with probably clients of all different ages and goals because you've dabbled at least in a bit of that. And if you haven't, then you're willing to learn it because you've been training or had that athletic background, as you mentioned, where if all you had done was work on yourself and do the lifting the way that uh, you're saying most people do it, I mean, you wouldn't be able to have that knowledge or have that expertise in that field where you could help someone with probably whatever goal that they have. Yeah, so I'm very happy to be in New York because originally I signed with um, Iowa State University. That's where I go. Oh, really? Yeah. Ames? You Ames? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we're revealing that on the air. Wow, that's very uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I signed with them uh, six years ago. And then the guy who was in charge of helping me with all the paperwork and getting my uh, my visa kept on telling me, yeah, next Monday we have the paper. Okay, buy your plane tickets. Are you good? Uh, I get the paper next Monday. Then Monday, he said, okay, no, in two more days. And then he kept on saying, oh, next week, next week. And then at the end, I'm like, uh, I bought my plane ticket. I'm supposed to leave in two days. I don't have my visa yet. What are you doing? And you say, oh, sorry, we couldn't. We um, the the academic department didn't evaluate your your French grade into an American GPA, and he didn't tell me that before. And because they didn't translate in my grade from French from French grade to to American GPA, I wasn't uh, getting the visa, and I was so upset. And then the next day, I reached out to other schools, and thankfully, I was able to connect with uh, Dan Mecca from Manhattan College and uh, he helped me get the paperwork so quickly and I, and I came here like one month later I was in the US thanks to him so um, I'm, I was really upset I was really sad not to get my visa in the first place but I'm more happy to be in New York than in Iowa right now yeah I mean the New York's probably got a few more opportunities uh, based on location compared to Ames, Iowa. <laughs> but I know you have a 300 meter indoor track. That's true. That is true. That is an amazing facility. So that was one of the reasons why I was really excited to go. But uh, maybe I would have been, maybe I would have qualified to the Olympics if I would have been to Iowa because maybe I would not have got, gotten injured and maybe I would have trained better. But uh, at the end, I'm still happy. I was able to stay in New York, finish my master's degree, and then start uh, so many businesses. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I think I'm things fine. worked out probably for the best for you. I mean, obviously, we don't wish you got injured, but you were able to make the most of it. So not yeah. the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just the same for everybody in life. When you, you're facing a, a major setback, when you get smacked in the face, you know, by, by really bad news or something for, falling apart, you're upset at the moment, but what's really important is the way you react to it. What are you, are you going to turn this into a new opportunity? Are you going to make the best of it? Or are you just going to, to cry and sit, sit on the couch and don't do anything about it and just be sad and depressed and let the days go by and don't, don't do anything. Do you want people to feel bad for you or do you want to take your life, uh, control of your life again and move forward, you know? When I when I get when I get really sad about something, I try not to think about it, and I try not to get depressed by it, and uh, I just find new new goals, new things to do, new new uh, projects to work on, and then when I achieve it, that makes me happy, and then I kind of forget about the bad days. Right. You know absolutely. I mean? Yeah. A absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about before we get into life after the injury, like what injury did you have? How did it happen? And just like maybe your initial reactions to that once you found out that news. Yeah, so I was doing a lot of um, clean, you know, Olympic weightlifting, clean. And I was uh, I was trying to lift too, too heavy and too often. So I was uh, on 275 pounds and I was lifting quite often. And I started feeling back pain. And then I was seeing the chiropractor to try to readjust my spine. And I've seen four chiropractors and somehow they don't know to adjust the spine here. In France, they would have fixed me quite easily, 
but in America, they don't, they, they were not good. So they kind of fucked me up and then I couldn't lift anymore. And uh, what happened is I broke my, uh, my uh, last vertebrae and uh, my disc between L5 and S1. So L5 is the lumbar number five connecting to the sacrum. It's the one that inserts to you on, onto your pelvis basically. So I don't have disc here anymore. I lost two, almost uh, one inch. So I'm one inch shorter now. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. It took me three years to be able to not have so much pain anymore. I couldn't even stay standing for more than 15 minutes be, uh, without having pain. When I was in the train, we, you know, I had to sit some, somewhere. Otherwise, I was feeling like a grandma that I need to sit. Uh, my, my back it was, was so painful. So that was really bad. And then in 2018, so three years later, uh, I started to, to lift again a little bit. And, uh, and somehow I was able to rehab by doing deadlift, light deadlift, and doing a lot of stretching and, and mobility work around the pelvis. And uh, now I can deadlift heavier than what I was able to do before the injury. Really? Which is quite bizarre because I still don't have a disc anymore and I still have some pain down there. But um, yeah, any, any big injuries, your, your body adjusts and you can, uh, if you do the, the rehab, stretch, strengthen the right muscles, re-equilibrate everything and take your time. Also, when you have back problem, you need to stay hydrated. When you do deadlift or squat session, you need to drink a lot of water. So your disc, intervertebral disc, stay moisturized and they can have a lot of elasticity. If they are too dry, that's when they can shatter and when you can have a, a hernia. And when you have a hernia, it pushes on the, on the root of the nerve and you, you get a lot of pain down the leg. That's really, that's bad. It happens yeah. to so many weightlifters and, and pros. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So you got a drink during your, your workout. <laughs> yeah. So do you end up like you're done competing, you're injured, you know you can't compete anymore. What's that next step? Like what was the first thing you did <clears throat> after that? So I remember the coach told me uh, we need to have an emergency meeting with the doctor. So come in, in my office and then I go there and that's when they tell me, okay, listen, you can't compete anymore. Your back problem is too, is really, really bad. So we have to uh, cut you off the team. You will keep your scholarship until the end of the year, but next year you can't have it. And then I was devastated because track was really my passion. That, that was the thing I was thinking about 24 seven. And all the other athletes in my team, in my school, they didn't really care about track. It was not really um, a passion for them. It was more a way of getting a scholarship and, and having fun. But I was really doing it to, to go to the Olympics and to be in the top 10 in the world, you know? And when, when they told me this, I was really devastated because it meant that I had to, to retire and stop my career. And that was like killing a big part of myself. So that's why I started to coach people after that. I coach people, I started very low price because um, when you start a business, you need to attract a lot of customers. So I remember I started at $35 per hour and I put an ad on Craigslist and I got, I remember I got 20 clients in the first month of September and the deal was 35 per hour for the first month and then it goes up to $50. And then in uh, September, so then in October, I kept four, four clients of the 20 at $50. Then I redid the same thing. The first month, uh, 35, then $50. And then I was able to build a, a good base. That was five years ago. I was able to start a, the business and have uh, a good amount of clients relatively quickly and uh, making good money. And um, little by little, the more clients you get, the higher you put your price, you know. So now to, to tell you the price I charge is $180 per hour or $1,600 for 10 session package. So I started from 35 and now I'm at 180, you know, and with the pandemic, I might have to go a little bit lower because uh, I, have a, I have less clients right now, mm -hmm. but it's okay since I do the other businesses and I still make money on the other sides. I'm always, um, you need to be diversified and not do only one business. You need to be able to, to play on every, on every side, you know? That's why I do, like I was telling you earlier, I do the stock market, day trading when you have to buy low and sell high the stock. 
uh, I do real estate investing where I buy places, I fix them up, I change the roof if it needs to, I change the windows, I paint everything. I don't do myself, I hire people to do that. You know, you just, you just clean the whole place and make it look good and, and make it uh, a nice home for your tenant. So that's a good business. It's the number one business in America to become a millionaire, real estate investing, you know? Right. And then also I have an online course uh, to coach people, coach people online. So I've coached uh, many people a- anywhere in the world with this course. And I have my brand of fitness equipment and apparel that I used to sell on Amazon. Uh, now it's only on my website, on my Shopify. So it's a brand I've designed three years ago called Rapid. And uh, I have jump rope, massage stick, weightlifting belt, weightlifting gloves, shirt, t-shirt, all, all that good stuff. But um, online sales is very annoying because <laughs> there are so many costs that people don't know. You need to find your factory. You need to design your product. You need to, to so the factory is in China. So they need to ship the products to you in America. Then you need to find a warehouse. You need to pay the warehouse monthly. You need to pay the warehouse each time they ship a product for you. You need to do the marketing, the advertising, the customer service, so much to, to it. And at the end, when you sell something for $30, you're going to make $2 or $5 of profit, which is very, very small. And the profit, you need to reinvest it to buy more stocks right after. So you pretty much never see the money on this kind of business, except when it becomes so huge that you, are, you have a lot of people working for you and you're selling a lot. But that's not a business I would recommend people to do. The kind of thing you do that you were telling me on eBay is a, is a bit better business model to make money. And that, even with that, I experienced a similar thing to what you did, at least at the starter, which you're talking about where you make, wow, I made 50 bucks. And then if you want to keep it going, you have to spend $50 or at least $50 and put it back in and then end up having more inventory. So it does take a bit of time to get that. And I remember I didn't really realize at the start when I was doing that, that I was like, oh, wait, I, my bank account isn't very much bigger than it was, even though I'm technically making profit, like I just have to put it back in. But yeah, that's a really good lesson on that. Yeah, because people, people think when you sell for $10,000 that they imagine that you made $10,000 for you. But when you actually look at all the cost on the $10,000, maybe you had... $2,000 of inventory. Then you had $1,000 of shipping. So it's already three grand. Then you have to do $2,000 of, of marketing and advertising. Then you have to you have the cost of running the business. You have so much to pay in all this that at the end, you're going to end up spending $9,000 to make 10000 So your net profit is actually $1,000. And that's what you have to live with. So that's why I, I advise people to do more of a service kind of business because when I coach people, I pretty much make 95% of profit. I give them my time and then they pay me. All I have to, to pay is my train, my month, you know, the monthly subscription for the train and then uh, the subscription to the gym. And I don't have other costs. And when you have your own business, your own LLC, you can take, <clears throat> you can put a lot of expenses such as your, your phone bill, your internet, uh, even some of your food, a lot of things like this. Um, the clothes you buy for the gym, all your fitness equipment goes as to an expense. So then you don't have to pay tax on it, which will reduce your, your net profit at the end of the year. So your your taxable income will be much smaller, which will save you money. So anybody should have a side hustle and open it within an LLC. That way they can have a lot of tax advantage. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of people listening, as you mentioned, Javelin is not the most profitable sport. Like you're not going to yeah. be getting millions of dollars to throw the Javelin. So there's going to be other ways you have to get out there. And obviously you had to transition pretty rapidly after the injury. It's not like you were like, wow, my career is done. Now it's time to do this. It was like one day the career is over. Okay. What's next? Like you had to do that fast. So. Yeah. Because you, you don't want to become a track coach. If you become a track coach, you don't make money. There is no, I don't know how much they make, maybe 40,000 a year. That's very low. If you become a private trainer and you find your own clients, at first you're going to have only three, three to five clients. But when you go up to 20, 25 clients, like I used to have before the pandemic, and they all pay you quite good uh, per hour, then 
there is almost no limit to how much money you can make you know in some weeks i was making five thousand dollars a week quite regularly with the coaching and I, even the biggest week i remember i made uh, 6500 6500 it's almost 1000 a day just in coaching people. <laughs> yeah. you know it's the biggest numbers in manhattan i think and you want to talk about uh we'll go back before i get into that point and talk about some of the awards you've won but did you always know you were entrepreneurial like when you grew up were you was that something you did it did or did you have to like learn that skill or is that something you just got by realizing you had to do it or was it like a passion of yours to begin with yeah it's a good question so i i know i never like uh, authority i don't like to listen to my parents or my teacher or even my <laughs> coaches <laughs> I, I drove a few coaches crazy uh, during my career because i always had my own vision and i know uh, i know my body better than than the coaches and sometimes when they were telling me funny advice i didn't listen and i was doing it on my own uh, and a few coaches uh, were saying that I just don't listen to anybody. And the funny thing is, uh, I did my best performances when I was training myself. In 20, 2012 and 2013, I was my own coach. And that's when I scored 7,500 in 2012, a 21, and then 7,700 in 2013, a 22 years old in the Decathlon. And when you're close from, to 8,000 points, uh, you're close on qualifying to the Olympics. So that's why I came to America after, because I really believed I could do over 8,000 8, points and qualify to, to Rio. But it didn't happen because of the injury. So, right. you know, I was, that was very heartbreaking. But uh, the point is, um, you, need to, you need to try to do your own business if you are smart enough to, to do it. My dad, for example, he doesn't like authority as well, and he tried to become an entrepreneur. And unfortunately, it didn't work. He had a few businesses, they all went bankrupt. It never, because he was lacking some skills. And if you don't have certain skills, you will never be successful. I know he can't, that's kind of weird, but he can't, uh, he can't create good connections and, and he can't have friends and partners and people to work with to try to develop a business. He's very good in sales, but selling a product and talking to a customer is very good, but for the, the other part of the business, he was never very good. And that's why it didn't work. Also, the market in France is much more difficult than in America. Because people over there, they don't have money to spend. We don't have, we make 1500 to $2,000 a month, and uh, that's it. So people don't want to spend the money. And if people don't spend money, and you have a business, then people don't buy your stuff. Right. The disposable income level is a lot lower. So there's yeah. nowhere, like, you're, how are you going to get your money if people don't spend any? That's the problem, you know? So that's why in America, it's really so many opportunities. And uh, the goal is to find the high paying customers because those guys, they want to hire the best trainer in the city and they don't care about how much it, it costs, you know? So all you got to do is to show them you're, the, you're very qualified and you have more knowledge than the other trainers and that way they are happy to spend money on you they're happy to have to have you and and to tell their friends i have the best trainer in new york city and that they get amazing results and they are training like high level athletes under me and i teach them a lot about their body and uh, how to become more flexible even after 50 years old or to lose you know body fat percentage increase muscle density be faster, be stronger, have better coordination. Uh, all of those, those things, also the diet and the lifestyle is very important because if you drink too much alcohol and if you party too much, if you don't sleep enough, if you have a very stressful work schedule, all those things, or even if you're just at the desk 10 hours a day and your chair is not good, it's going to fuck up your back. So I give them advice on anything that is encompassing every you know every important aspect of their life because once you fix every pieces of the puzzle then you can get somebody very healthy and fit at any age and that's really what i do for my clients and i try to have a long-term vision and, and think about longevity to help them live longer in a much better body in a healthier body in stronger body and uh, get more energy and be also more self-confident, you know, all those things. That's what I really 
that's that's what I do with my clients. That's something that I learned about from a podcast I listened to a while back where they were talking about you want, obviously there's problems that can be solved, but the best problems to solve are the expensive problems or problems that people are willing to pay that money for. And as you mentioned, you started at a much lower fee, but as time went on, you were able to prove yourself, develop a reputation. And that's huge too with that. As you mentioned, if you have one client that's willing to pay you what your maximum price is and they have a good experience, they probably, their friends are probably of the similar level that you're going to be able to bring in more of them and get that and keep growing at that, uh, at that value. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. You're uh, right. And I remember when I started to be a trainer, I, I looked at the market and I saw there were, there were a few trainers charging $100 per hour. And I knew I was already more knowledgeable than them because of, of what I've learned through being a high-level athlete for so many years, you know, and coaching myself. And uh, so I, I started to hit the market $100 per hour. Then nobody wanted to hire me. And then I put $70. Nobody wanted to hire me. And then I was like, damn, how does it work? So I put $35. And then that's when I was able to get some momentum and little by little, you know, build the business. But when you enter a new market, a new industry, you need to start with low prices. And uh, that's how you'll be able to get enough clients that when you raise your price up and you tell people your price is higher, then you don't even care if they don't, if they say no, because you have enough people already. But then if they say yes to a higher price, it's good for you. You make time for that new person and little by little you get your price up. And this is, this is the way to start any business, I would say. Right, absolutely. So what would you say are some of the similarities and differences from being, I guess, in the training space, obviously you're doing stuff in other spaces as well, but what are some of the similarities and differences now you're basically a coach, like between coaching and then also when you were just training yourself or as an athlete, like what are some of the differences between coaching people and being an athlete yourself? So when you're an athlete yourself, you're mostly listening to a coach. And uh, the, 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 the thing is, I always had very good feelings and very good understanding of what, what was going on in my body. Uh, which position I was at, which speed, which rhythm, what I have to adjust of in my position, uh, you know, like let's say the right foot or the pelvis or enroll the shoulders a bit more, you know, like when you have, when you got a throw, some, some guys, they, when they don't have a lot of shoulder mobility, they can be blocked over here. But if you really work on your mobility, you'll be able to have a much better range of motion and all of those little things. I always had a very good understanding myself. So that's why I, did, I didn't really need a coach. But now I'm able to see those aspects in my clients. I don't coach them in javelin throw, of course. Right. But all the other <laughs> movements, you know, it's, I just use the same uh, mindset, trying to have a very good technique, very good position, good range of motion. Um, and then I, I teach them that way. And I looked at the, let's say, the, on a squat or deadlift, you need to make sure the spine is in the right position. Otherwise, they won't have, they can hurt their back or they won't go low enough or they won't use their body the best way possible. So on every movement, I try to have a very good biomechanic understanding of it. Uh, that way I can coach them uh, very, you know, at a high level. Most, most coaches, they don't really pay attention to the technique. They just say, okay, do 10 reps. Uh, do 15 reps over there. Okay, run for two minutes. They don't really look at the technique and the form to try to improve the efficiency of the movement. And this is really what we do in France. In France, we are for the quality uh, and the technique. In the US, it's more the quantity and the speed and the power. So when you combine both, that's when you get the highest um, physical development. And that's what I use for training myself and to coach my clients. So then with all of that, obviously you're providing or proving to me that you're providing a lot of value to these people. You were also awarded the past two years, a major award in New York. Do you want to talk about, I guess, what goes into that award? What, what is the award? And just like, yeah, just everything about it. I'm going to show you the picture if I find it somewhere. <laughs> so it's called the New York Award for personal training. So I don't know if you can see. Yeah. You see, so in, two, in 2019 and 2020, that's when I got the, the New York Award. And they give this award to 
they look at every trainers, the one that have, you know, the, that do, like that are the most popular, they have the best reputation, the best marketing, the, the most clients and all this. So they look at uh, your education level, your athletic level, how many clients have you coached, the results of your clients, because that's the number one uh, priority. When you're a trainer, what's the most important is the result you bring to your clients. So for this award, they look at that, how many body transformation you've done, um, your, your level of knowledge, and also the profit of your business. So when they put all this together, I came up on top two times. So I was very happy because I really love my job. That's my main activity, coaching people. And uh, I love my clients. I become friends with most of my clients. I'm having a great time. When I know people, some people are working at the office 10 hours a day, I am at the gym coaching a friend of mine, you know, a client to become a friend. And the, the gym is my office. And I get, I'm getting paid quite well for that. So I have really, really a great life. That's why to get back to the original point, when we say track athletes and javelin thrower can't really make money, when you practice the, the event and competition, of course, you can't really make much money. But when you use your skills and everything you learn, then you can apply it to the other, to the population, to other customers, and that's where you can make money. Absolutely, like using the lessons and not necessarily using the actual event to make the money. Yeah, because you become smarter, you become more skilled, and when you can teach the skills to people, that's when you you can really. Uh, provide a good service and then get paid accordingly. When you first started, were you starting, where were you training the athletes? Because obviously you probably at that point didn't have your own, or training I guess, athletes or people. Where were you training them? Because you might not have had your own gym, I guess, at the start. Yeah, I don't have my own gym. And, and you know what? I will never have my own gym because it's a terrible business model. You are stuck in one place. You can't get clients from all around because people, they don't want to travel too much and uh, you have to pay rent, you have to manage it, you have to do so many things when you have your own gym. So what I do is I go to uh, Planet Fitness or Bling Fitness or some other private gyms and it costs me almost nothing. It's like $25 a month. I'm not technically allowed to coach there, but I always tell my clients the options, which is going to those gyms for 25 a month or we can go to private gym, which is $35 per hour. So they quickly understand it's better to go to the $25 a month. And I just have to work out a little bit with them and not be too obvious when I coach. Um, to be honest with you, I got kicked out five times of those two gyms. <laughs> so I got kicked out 10 times and I'm blacklisted. But each time I reopen a membership, I have a special technique to do. So I go there. I <laughs> You're going to laugh. Sometimes I shave everything, but I just keep a mustache and I put glasses. I go there, I tell them I forgot my, I lost my ID. Can I pay the whole year in cash? So I go, they take me in picture because for your membership, you need to have a picture. Since my face is bizarre with this mustache and the glasses and the hat, they can't, they can't recognize me from previously. I give them a fake name. <laughs> I give them a fake email address. I give them a fake address, fake phone number. I pay the whole year in cash. They give me my tag and then I'm good to go. I would never have guessed the guy getting the New York award for all these things would be making a fake. Creative. If you follow the law, if you, fo if you follow the authority all the time, you will never break through. There is rules, but you need to, you need to always find a way to go around the rules. You know, I don't care if they, if they look, if I was not doing this, I would not have coached so many people in those gyms and I would have missed on so much business. So I do it until they catch me. When they catch me, I find another solution. You know, plus those gyms, they have like 20 gyms in the city everywhere. So if they catch me in one, I, I go open a membership in another one uh, with another face and other address and, and everything. And I don't care. You know, rules are meant to be broken. I never follow the rules. <laughs> so the lesson I'm taking away from you is the fact that you have to be able to adjust on the fly is pretty much what the, your life story has been or make changes when, yeah. when necessary. Yeah, but it's, it's easy. You know, you need to have plan B, plan B, plan C, plan all the way until plan Z. You need to have so many plans. 
and uh, because often your plan A is not gonna is not gonna work, and you don't want to be dwelling and and just feeling bad for yourself and just staying home being depressed. You need to move forward, readjust your strategy, analyze the situation, find a plan B, and then try you know go for it. If it doesn't work, you try again. You know. Absolutely, really really good lessons there. Audacity and look for opportunities. If you could give one piece of advice to athletes, let's say their career finished, as you mentioned in the U.S., the system is great up until you're 22 years old because all of a sudden you either have a job or you're trying to be a professional where France or other countries maybe have a little bit more of a system for older people. If people are transitioning from uh, being athletes yeah. and they want to become a business owner, what is one piece of advice you would give them? So I'm going to give you two, two pieces of advice because people who want to become business owners is like 5% of the population. It's quite small. So for the other 95%, what I would say is try to find a, a, a high paying job. Or at first you can start quite low and then make your way up by just getting promoted and always save money, put money on the side, invest it wisely. Uh, try to have enough money to put as a down payment to buy your house. Once you buy your house and you finance a mortgage, you don't have to pay money to a landlord anymore. And then you're going to make appreciation over your, on your house. So that's already a very important first step to, to own your own place and to have your, a good job and to be able to um, climb the ladder. And then for, for people that are more entrepreneurial and not by the rules and don't like authority and have their own vision and want to make their own money and all this, this good stuff, you know. I would say try to learn as many skills as possible. Try to be good in sales. Sales is the number one skill you need to learn. All the, the money I'm able to make right now, it's because I'm selling my own service and my own products. You know, um, like I was telling you earlier, also I started 3D photography this year to build a 3D virtual tour. And this year I made more money doing this than coaching people. And, uh, and that's because I was prepared to take on big clients and I knew how to talk to them and how to close a deal. If I did not uh, learn this skill by being a trainer, I would not have been able to, to work with the biggest brokerages and developers in, in Manhattan. Do you want to talk about the first, the price, I guess, of the first property that you yeah, yeah. photographed? So, <laughs> so one of my clients for personal training works for a very luxurious brokerage in New York. And I told him about the other businesses that I do. So he said, wow, that's cool. We're going to hire you. And the funny story actually is um, they asked me, how much would it cost to do five apartments? And I said, about 20000 But I could offer you a discount and, and make it for half price if we bundle up together all those apartments. And they said, okay, 10000 for ten for five apartments, so 2000 a piece." And then they asked me, oh, can you show us... Um, your work. Can you show us what you've done before for some luxury apartment? And I'm like, uh, oh shit. Okay, no problem. Hold on one second. <laughs> the only scan I've done before was my apartment, and my apartment is no luxury, not luxurious at all. So I was like, shit. I have to lie to them right now, and I don't like to lie to people. But in this instance, I had to lie because if I don't lie, I'm just going to lose the business. And I'm going to lose everything that's coming after. So I sent them a virtual tour from somebody else that did a property in New York that was quite nice. And they were like, okay, perfect. So let's, let's start next week. And I've done the, also I lied to them, but I knew I could do the job. You know what I mean? It's like a lie that was necessary because I know I can do the job, but I know if I don't tell them that, that I've done it already, they're not going to trust me and I would lose the business. So once I've done this, they like the job I've done, then they referred, to me, they referred me to a bunch of their colleagues and, and partners, and then I've done work for all of them. And the first apartment I shot in, in the, the, the first deal of the five apartments was $28 million. <laughs> so I've done 28 million, then 25 million, then 18, like very expensive places, you have no idea. And uh, I was able to build a very good portfolio from the beginning. Well, once you get those, then it makes every other apartment look yeah. pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. And remember what I was saying earlier when I said, when you start a new business, you need to start at a very low price. Remember when I was saying for the coaching, I started at $35. Um, 
the fact I was able to stop the photography at a very high price when other guys charge only three hundred or five hundred dollars for a, per apartment and I got it for two thousand dollars. Remember, it's because I used my skills in marketing and in sales to convince those people that this was a good price for a very good quality product. And, uh, and that's how, it, how I did it. And then I've done the same technique with all my other customers. And sometimes they hired other people that, were, ch that was, were cheaper than me, but it doesn't matter because at the end I was still charging five times more than the other photographer. Right. And that's something that I've, I mean, I've seen personally, I, I'm a pretty cheap person myself, but with times of <laughs> products, people are willing to pay up because of that inherent sense of value. Like they think if they're going to pay you that price, that you're going to provide that price of service where if you were paying, if you were charging 50 bucks, people probably that's so low that people wouldn't even want you to do it because they don't exactly. feel that there's any, anything valuable there. Exactly. And you know, the, the sad thing is I know a lot of trainers, or some of my friends that were track athlete and became trainer. And they are so knowledgeable, they are so smart, they are so good in coaching people, but they are terrible in marketing and in sales that they only charge 30 or $40 per hour. And I'm like, dude, you need to learn marketing. Because if I, if I wasn't good in marketing, I would still be at $35 per hour. You know, I would still be stuck down there. But because I am very good in coaching and very good in marketing, I combine both. And that's when you can get the best result for a business. And that's really what I've learned by watching a lot of YouTube videos, reading some books about business, about sales, entrepreneurship, all of that good stuff, you know? And right. uh, it's pretty much like going to school, but since I love it, I like to read it and I like to watch the videos and that's my education. And, uh, and it really helped me make so much money just by watching YouTube. People really underestimate the power of the information and knowledge you can get for free on YouTube. If you could recommend one person from YouTube and one book to someone who's interested, just pick one of each, who would you recommend and um, what book would you recommend? So for books, I don't really, to be honest, I prefer learning uh, by watching videos, mm -hmm. but I read some books. There's a rich dad, poor dad. I'm sure you, you've heard about it. Mm -hmm. It's about real estate investment. And for YouTube channel, I'm going to recommend two or three. The first one is called Valuetainment. So bringing value with entertainment, you know, Valuetainment. And it's with uh, Patrick Ben David. They have 2.5 million subscribers, I think. And I learned so much about business and about what is going on right now in the market and all that thing, that kind of thing. So he's a very good teacher. I love it. Then there's another guy called Meet Kevin. I don't know if you know this guy. I have not heard of it, no. Yeah, you should watch his videos. It's very good. He talks a lot about real estate investment, stock market, and uh, what is going on in the news and all this. And the funny thing is, so he has 1 million subscribers and uh, he's a friend of mine. I've, co I've met him in Miami and I coached him and then we talk and, and I started a 3D business because of him. And in one of his videos, he, he made a video about the success I've had doing that business by starting it uh, relatively, you know, like this year and w being able to get b uh, big deals right away. So he made a video about me on this and I would really recommend anybody who wants to do their own business to watch his channel. It's called Meet Kevin, M-E-E-T Kevin. And then another good one is Graham Stefan. He talks more about per personal finance and real estate investment as well and stock market. So by watching those uh, free channels, I've learned so much. That's awesome. And I think what's funny about that is how YouTube is one of the most popular things for learning Javelin as well. Yeah. Using that same resource, people are so, I mean, YouTube's not hard to use, but I mean, that's like everyone that comes on here talks about, oh, I watch so much YouTube to learn Javelin. I mean, there's so many other things you can educate yourself on there as well. Yeah, that's crazy because what, in 2006, 2007, Remember when I was saying I wasn't doing my homework? It's because I was on YouTube watching Javelin <laughs> population, you know, like um, Jean Zelezny, Andreas Torkilson, Tero Pitkamaki, all those guys. I was watching their video all the fucking time. <laughs> all the time. I was obsessed. 
watching, you know, like the compilation with the music and motivational video and slow motion where you can really see the action of the hip, you know, creating a, like a slingshot with your body. Um, all of these, I've tried to look at frame by frame to have the best position, but my javelin technique was never really good. I, 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 I was very far from what I could have done. And mm -hmm. I think I'm going to resume a little bit the training because uh, I know I could have done 70 meters. I could do standing throw over 50 meters, but with the, the normal throw, I, I did 61, 61, which is 200 feet, which is good for a decathlete. Right. My technique at the end was, ne was never good. When I block, there's a lot of mistakes I could have erased and, and gotten at least 10 meters more. So maybe I'll get back to it and, and we'll try to hit at least 65. That would be awesome. And I think that's really cool that even back then you were still appreciating the javelin. And what's so amazing about all of your story is you said you're 29 years old. It, you're not, it's not like you're 45 and you've had all this experience. Like this is a very fast transition into the new realms of business that you're in. Yeah. You know, each year I try to open a new business. Once you learn how to open one business, you know, like open it in, in, the, in Delaware for tax reasons, uh, find a registered agent, uh, open a bank account, all of these things. And then you have your product or your service. Once you know how to do this, you can just replicate and in each year I open one or, one or two business or I close one or, you know, it's uh, always trying to find new opportunities. And, and uh, there's also an advice that says, don't open a business before you have your first customer. So what it means by that is, let's say you get the opportunity to, you know, somebody that works in real estate and they have a lot of listings, but they're not selling them. And you can tell them, okay, I could do the 3D photography. And you pretend you're already a 3D photographer, but you're not. And uh, if they say yes, all you got to do is buy the camera. You receive it two or three days later. You practice during two, and two to three days to learn exactly how it works. And then the next week you start shooting for the guy and you already make money before spending any money on your equipment. You know what I mean? Right. So that's a good advice to do to first find opportunity before starting a business. That is great advice and, and really interesting. And some of the stories you had are just hilarious of how, how your business is operated, how you're able to make things work. So super cool. Yeah. Also, also for during the pandemic, it was the lockdown and I wasn't supposed to be going around the city, but I, I was going to shoot almost every day. I had, I had a real estate shoots. And if I would have followed the law and not break the rules, like I do for the gym, for example, I would have just stayed at home and not do anything. And I would have missed on so much money and opportunity. So to get back to, to following the rules and following the law, you need to always find ways to get around it. And if you get caught, you need to have a plan B, you know, it's like the other day I was, I was with my friend to try to go to, uh, take the train and she doesn't have the unlimited card. So I swipe for her and then I pass the, the turnstile like a hurdle, you know, I hurdle it. And then I see cops on my, on my right and I'm like, oh shit, caught me. So he tells me to go there to go talk to him and he, will, he said, I'm going to give you a ticket, blah, blah, blah. And I say, I, 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 I try to negotiate with him, but I don't want to be too annoying. And at the end, I'm like, okay, fine. Give me, give me a ticket. I don't care. Because the cops, they are used to people never wanting to pay a ticket and, and arguing for bullshit. So if you start doing that, you're sure you're going to get a ticket. So I say, okay, give me a ticket. Fine. And he say, it's okay for this time. I'm not going to give you a ticket, uh, tie your shoe because my shoe was open and uh, Merry Christmas. So I was kind of lucky. It was, uh, it was reverse right. psychology. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was, I showed him I was, uh, I was not dishonest because I swiped. I have my unlimited card, but it was to help my friend not to pay. It wasn't for me. I should have said she forced me. She told me swipe for me, and then <laughs> I should have said that <laughs> and say you should give her the ticket, not me. <laughs> no, I was I wasn't gonna do that. I'm a gentleman, and uh, she was my client actually. She's my client and my friend. So <laughs> imagine how to lose a client. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's funny.
So going back to those compilations, this is the question that I always ask people at the end of the interviews. Who is your favorite javelin thrower of all time? Mm. There are like many I really like. Um, can I give multiple names because... You can do multiple. Okay. You can do multiple. So of course, the, the king, you know, uh, Zelezny. Then I really like Tero Pitkamaki. Actually, I have a picture with him. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Tero Pitkamaki. I don't know if you know Raymond Esht. He did a uh, 90, yeah. 9260. Mm -hmm. So Raymond Esht was super explosive and he used to pull a lot of chalk. So when he was throwing, it was like a cloud, a cloud of chalk. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. I really love that this guy is super explosive. And then um, lately, Johannes Vetter has been fucking amazing. And he really has such a powerful and, and elastic technique. He's so powerful, he's so tall, and um, such a great mobility. It's when I'm going to my old Instagram and I find pictures like this. <laughs> when I was running against uh, Ronald Avilleni. Yeah. You know, the, the pole vaulter, the Olympic champion and world record holder. And now I'm going to show you another picture. You'll tell me if you, if you know who that, who that guy is. It's hard to tell from the Zoom camera. My camera yeah. is awful. Maybe. Yeah. So Jean-Claude Van Damme. JCVD. <laughs> I met him in Los Angeles. But wait, I'm trying to find the, the picture with Pitkamaki. I met him at the, when I did the European Championship in 2013. And uh, I think I posted on, on Instagram or Facebook, but not easy to find. Oh, here's the picture from when I broke my back and I was at the mm. hospital. You see, that was that was bad. Mm. I have a picture with the world's strongest man. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's ginormous. I yeah. Columbus, Ohio. You see how small I look next to him? Yeah. <laughs> and then Rich Froning, the world's fittest athlete. You know, the CrossFit Games. Actually, yeah. I, co I coached a CrossFit uh, athlete who finished third this year. Oh, wow. Carrie Pierce. Carrie Pierce. I was coaching her on the running, uh, and she was doing the weightlifting and everything else with another coach. But she's an amazing athlete, and I'm so happy she finished third on the podium this year. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm still trying to find this picture, but uh, I might be unsuccessful. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, if you don't end up finding it, you can send it my way. I'd love to share it too. If you have an awesome one like that, put it on the Instagram to advertise the episode. Yeah, th th that's a picture of uh, Javelin when I was at the European Championship. Mm. that's when I was doing like 60, 59, 60 meters on a regular basis and uh, yeah I don't find it uh. I don't find it it's okay, that was great to talk with you and, and I hope a lot of um, uh, of your viewers can be inspired by all the entrepreneurship uh, talk we had because at the end of the day, we need to, it's an economic planet and we need to make money to survive. We need to thrive. We need to be happy by doing our own thing. And if you can help people and make money and be happy, that's just the, the best thing, you know? And that's wrapping up uh, before I, I get too long on it. But that's what I was going to mention as well is that you seem to truly be enjoying all of it. Obviously, having a lot of money is great, but you're also... Not, it's not like you have a bunch and you're miserable. You're having a lot and you're also calling these clients that you're making money from your friends though. Like you're providing them a, and you have the goal of providing a service. You're not scamming people into, oh, I'm tricking them into paying me a lot to be the client. Like you're actually providing a true yeah. quality service and people are seeing results. Like you wouldn't get those awards if you weren't actually providing results. Cause I mean, and, and as you've mentioned, it's not like you're in the middle of the middle of nowhere, like doing it in New York is, the biggest city here there is here so yeah it's very competitive and if you you know people they leave your reviews online so if i charge a high price and i don't deliver the a good service i would get one star reviews and this i can't i can't even think about it because that's my reputation it's so important 
And uh, on every website and platform, I have five-star reviews everywhere. And all my clients, I, I want to make sure they're happy and they are getting the best service possible from me, you know. So as long as you do that, people are happy when they work with you and, and you're reliable, you're showing up on time, you never cancel on them. You are not on your phone all the time during the workout because right. you'd be surprised, but I see some trainers in the gym, they spend the whole hour on their phone and I'm like, why is your client still working with you? <laughs> incredible. That's really bad service. You know, so if you're, if you're just honest and do a good job and are, you know, friendly and have a good conversation uh, with, the, with the people you work with, they will always be happy and, and you'll be successful. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm really happy also we get to talk. And uh, I love to follow your page, the great content you're putting out there. It's really cool. It reminds me of all the, the great memories I had from throwing the javelin and working out and practicing all the time. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Keep up uh, the podcast as well. If I make it out the sound, no, I'm gonna keep you around. Swear to God, I'm not gonna switch on your hoe.